Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for Blake and for Christy and for the Farrells. Um, we thank you that they've had the opportunity to get away here for, for two weeks, Lord, to, um, to get out of town and just to go see family and visit, and more importantly, just to rest, Lord. And we just pray over Blake and Christy, Lord, that this will just be a time of refreshing, Lord. Um, not just sitting around and, and watching football and, and hanging out, Lord, but also carving time out every day, Lord, just to, to, to hear from you, Lord, to, to get into your word, to pray, um, to really have that refreshing, Lord, so that as they come back here, they'll be rejuvenated and refreshed and, and ready to face the challenges of ministry, Lord. And um, we thank you so much for this church and this fellowship and for the vision that they've cast forth, Lord, I pray that you will just continue to lead and guide them each and every step of the way with all the question marks as far as facilities and finances and all this other stuff. God, we pray that you will just lead them step by step, uh, that you will guide them, that you will just give them wisdom and understanding and discernment um, and how to best lead, Lord. We thank you so much for their leadership, for their love, for their caring, and um, we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, we are kind of taking a break from a book. Uh, we just finished up on the book of Jude, and Blake decided to do a couple of psalms uh, while he was away. And then when he gets back, we're going to start in the book of um, Judges, I believe. So today we're going to be in Psalm 3. Uh, do we have slides or... No? Okay, so if you have Bibles, everybody have Bibles? All right. We're going old school today. Um, extra points. <laughs> um, so we're going old school today. Uh, anyway, let's just go ahead and pray as we get into the Word. Father, we, we thank you for your Word. Lord, we thank you that your Word is truth. We thank you, Lord, that your Word penetrates our hearts, it penetrates our souls, it, 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 it is our daily bread, Lord. It, it's what we feed on, it's what we need, Lord, to sustain us, it's where we get our instructions, it's where we hear from you, Lord. Uh, God, and I pray that as we just get into your word today, Lord, that you will speak to us, Lord, that you will just help me through the passages, Lord, um, open our eyes and our understanding, Father, and to these scriptures, God, and I pray that um, we will be able to relate to David and to all the things that he's gone through, Lord. So we just give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 3. It's a pretty short psalm. But I chose it because a lot of the times the psalms, um, the psalms are originally written as songs and choruses. Um, and there are quite a few psalms, but not... That, that actually relate to a story within David's life. And this particular psalm is at one of the lowest points in, in David's life. And I don't know about you guys, but I love David. I feel like I, he's so relatable uh, to me personally, not because I, I do what he does or did what he does, but um, I, I think it's just so real. You know, it's like we get to see him from the time that he's a small boy all the way up until the time that he dies. And so we get to see the ebb and the flow of, of, the, of the walk that we have with the Lord. 
we get to see victories, we get to see defeats, we get to see failures, and we, we kind of see all of this. And David was always known as a man after God's own heart. And I think one of the things that I've drawn out of this study recently is his reaction to adversity and how he, he reacted to it, to the troubling times. Because the Bible says that we're all going to go through trials, we're all going to go through tribulations. It's, it's something that is unavoidable. First Peter tells us that it's better to suffer for righteousness than to suffer, obviously, for sin. So whether we are a righteous as a Christian or whether we're suffering, as suffering is just a part of the Christian walk. It's just, it's just inevitable. And a lot of the reasons why God brings about suffering in our lives is to, to reveal our hearts. It was kind of like how we finished, I think it was Psalm 139 last week. David's prayer was, you know, Lord, open my eyes, you know, show, see if there's any way in me that's not right and reveal it to me. You know, David was just being honest with the Lord and just like, if there's something that's not right in my life, then I want you to show it to me. Well, the Lord can do that in many different ways. Obviously, he has his word, and there's a lot of different ways that, that God can show us where we might be in error, that we might be wrong. But the other way that he shows us, like, what's really in our hearts is when trials come and when testing comes and when tribulation comes. Because you can be really fine in the Lord and, 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 and going along pretty good. But then when that, that rough patch in your life comes, then like what is really coming out of that? What, what's really, because we saw that in Jesus. And I kind of like how Psalms, this particular Psalm in David's story kind of parallels the end of Jesus's life when he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, Jesus is facing the biggest trial like coming up. You know, it's like he can see all that is going to be happening to him. He knows in his flesh that he's going to be crucified, that he's going to be beaten, that he's going to be shamed. And so all of this distress, the Bible actually says that he actually began to bleed. I don't remember what the condition was, but the human heart can become so distressed that you can actually begin to sweat blood. And that's what Jesus was going through, like the <clears throat> knowing that he was going to be separated for a short time from the Father, knowing that he was going to have to bear the sin of humanity and go through all of that was, was quite distressing. But when you read John chapter 17, I believe, was that prayer out of the Garden of Gethsemane, it was just so powerful. You know, it's, it's like, you know, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And he prayed for his disciples and he prayed for all of those, us, who would believe after him. And so this is kind of where, where David's at. He's at a point in his life where as we all know, he started out as a young boy, defeated Goliath, and we kind of saw him um, through the persecution that Saul and, and through his whole life and all the things that were going on. We saw him finally ascend into the throne where, where God had originally called him to, but he didn't stay there. You know, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't his God-ordained place to be that he was just going to sustain there because a lot of times I think we even can act like that, you know, it's like, well, I'm in my calling now, so everything should just be smooth sailing from here on out. Well, life doesn't really work that way, because God is continually testing our hearts and revealing our hearts to us. So this psalm tracks along with 2 Samuel chapters 15 and 18. I'm not going to go through it, because that would be a lot of reading. Um, I don't really like to read a lot, especially out loud when I'm sick and my voice is not what it should be, but um, just for your own 
personal study or edification, it is 2 Samuel verses 15 through 18. But I will kind of give a little bit of a, a summary of, of where we're at in David's life so that we have a better understanding. Because once we understand where David is at and where his situation, the circumstance he's coming into, this psalm makes just so much more sense. So this is a point, actually I think it starts in 2 Samuel 14 with his sin with Bathsheba. As many of us know that um, at this point in David's life, most of the kings were supposed to go out to war, but David decided to stay home. And while he was home, he saw Bathsheba, lusted after her, and slept with her, and got her pregnant. And to cover up his sin and his mistake, he ended up having her husband killed because she got pregnant with the baby. And so this was a great sin that David had committed, and so he was trying to cover it up. And as we all know the story, the prophet Nathan came to him and said, you know, he gave him like a little bit of a parable, and then David realized what he had done. And as his punishment, or as his consequence, uh, Nathan told him that there's going to be somebody in your house that's going to rise up against you. You're going to have a rebellion from within. And so this is at a point in David's life where he reigned for years. You know, he was like the, the, the top king in that part of the world at that time. He was rich. He was wealthy. He had conquested lands around him. So Israel actually, from the time of Saul until the time of David, actually grew in its territory and its power and in its influence. And this sin kind of just changed all that because we see a huge decline in David's story from this point onward. <clears throat> even though he repented. You know, when Nathan realized, or excuse me, when the prophet Nathan had spoken to David, and now he realized that he was the sinner and that what he had done, he repented and he wept bitterly over it. And God had told him that the baby that Bathsheba was pregnant with will not survive. And when that baby died, it, it really hit David pretty hard. He actually was in mourning for about a week. He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't congregate. He wouldn't do anything. He was just in his room, shut up, not eating, not drinking, just, just mourning over the loss of the kid. Um, he had to suffer for his sins. You know, so many times I think in, in the Christian walk, we, we think that there's no consequences for the sins that we commit, even though God has forgiven us. You know, it's like you can't eat McDonald's three times a day and expect that you're going to be a clean bill of health in 20 or 30 years because it's going to have consequences eating that kind of food all the time. And it's no different in, in the things of God and the spirit, you know, that there are going to be consequences for the things that, that we do or that we don't do. Um, but just to think that because we repent, we ask for forgiveness, that there's not going to be consequences, that there's not going to be things and adversity that we face is... It's deception. You know, it's hard to say, like, well, how long it's going to last or how, what exactly the circumstances are because when I look at suffering, even for righteousness' sake, and suffering for, for sin, the consequences can sometimes be the same. I mean, if we look at Jesus, you know, he suffered greatly for righteousness, you know. I mean, he never sinned in his whole life, but he suffered greatly and dearly uh, for righteousness' sake. And then David had all of these issues with his kids, his oldest son, Amon, uh, lusted after his own sister, Tamar, and he raped her. And as a result of that, Tamar's brother, whose name was Absalom, 
who was obviously quite upset that, that his sister was raped, <coughs> killed, <coughs> killed David's oldest son, Ammon, as, as a revenge killing because, you know, of what he did. And so not only did David have the sins that he was dealing with, but now it's, it's being passed down to his kids here, and his kids are going haywire. You know, it's like he's got a, a, a brother who's going to rape his own sister, and then another, bro- another son who's going to murder his own brother. And as a result, Absalom fled into exile. And he was gone for several years, obviously, because he didn't want the king to take his revengeance on him or David to take his revengeance on him. So he stayed away for a few years. <clears throat> but after David had mourned the loss of his son, he, uh, he allowed Absalom to come back. And even though he came back, he didn't have fellowship or have anything to do with him for about two years. And as a result of that, it built up a lot of bitterness and anger in Absalom's heart. <clears throat> so what he did is he would go around and he would start telling people, <coughs> excuse me, he would start turning the hearts of the people against David. He would start saying, well, if I were king, I would be a better judge than my father. And so as a result, this conspiracy started uh, with his son Absalom, and really, <coughs> excuse me, and really working to, to betray his father and, and to start actually a rebellion against his own father. And as a result of this rebellion that was growing and growing, because the people were disgruntled at that time. I'm sure at that time, now that David's sin was probably being, being made public, the people were like, well, here's this man of God this great king who we all love and who we all you know, praise because of <clears throat> how great he was in all of his conquests and bringing the ark back from the Philistines. Now here he is an adulterer. Not only is he an adulterer, but now he's, he's murdering people as a result of, of his sin. And so the people were disgruntled probably with David's leadership, and so it was very easy for someone else to slip in there and say, <coughs> you know, here's a... Here's another solution I have. Here's a better, a better person to, to take the leadership than me. That's what Absalom was saying. So he turned the hearts of the people against David, and as a result, David fled. As the conspiracy was growing and growing and growing, and as more and more people, David's close advisors were leaving him. People who had been faithful to him in his court and served him, his generals and his advisors, they were, they were all leaving him, and they were joining the rebellion. And so at word of this, David fled <clears throat> because he didn't want to be killed. He didn't want, uh, you know, that to happen, so he fled. And so at the point of his fleeing, this is where we pick up in, in Psalm 3. You know, David, the king, I think it said in, in, uh, in Samuel that he was being led out of the city. He was barefoot. He was weeping. <clears throat> he was greatly distressed because here he was. Now running for his life, he was pretty much back to where he was when, when Saul was king, running again, running from, you know, his palace, all that he had, all of his money, and, you know, he's just kind of a lamb on the run. And this is where this psalm picks up. Um, so let's just go ahead and read it. Does someone want to read that for me? Psalm 3. My throat's a I, I got a cough drop.
afraid of many thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Amen. <coughs> so let's go back and look at this. Um, Verse by verse here, it says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me, saying, Of my soul there is no salvation him, Salah. The word Salah, you'll see that <coughs> quite a bit throughout the Psalms. It's actually a pause. <coughs> whether it's a musical pause or whether it's just a pause to sit there and reflect about what he talked about. But it is just a pause. So David said in there in verse 1, How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. He was realizing the magnitude of the people that were actually rising against him. It just wasn't like a little rebellion. It was like the entire country was up and, and rising against him. David made it out of Jerusalem with, with some faithful followers. I don't remember what it said in the Word. It might have been like six, 700 people. Um, but other than that, he had all of these people against him. <clears throat> He's saying, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. People were thinking that this guy just can't be saved. I'd actually, on his way out from Jerusalem, there was a man who cursed him. And he said, you're getting exactly what you deserve, David, for all of your bloodshed, <clears throat> for all of your sin. You're getting exactly what you deserve. This is from God. You know, God cursed you. God, God's going to get you for this because of what all you did. This is God's revenge against you for all of your bloodshed and for all that you've done. So they were saying that there is no salvation. There's no hope for you. You're done. You know, how many times do we get in that situation where we might have a, a, a sin or that we fall short? And even though we've repented, you know, people will look at us and say, that, that person's beyond repentance. That, person's, that person has done it. That person is, is, is condemned before God. You know, and it reminds me so much of Jesus. <clears throat> you know, one week, here they are. Hosanna in the highest, you know, praising him and, and laying palms down and, and welcoming Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And then one week later, he's walking back out of that city, headed to the cross. A cursed man. People were spitting at him, cursing at him because he was cursed. And this is a very similar situation that, that David was saying. And this is where it really gets amazing because as we kind of see here that there is just a lot of things that David is up against a lot of distress in his heart and a lot of distress in his soul. But then he goes on in verse 3, he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. David knew who his God was. David wasn't turning to <clears throat> people for comfort. He wasn't turning, trying to find, because so many times when we find ourselves in these situations, we're, we're looking for things to, to comfort us. We're looking for things to make us feel like it's all right. But David knew who his Lord was. He said, you are a shield about me. David's confidence was in the Lord. And he didn't learn this in seminary. He didn't learn it because he heard a good message. He learned it through the trials and, and the hard knocks in life. When he came out to confront Goliath, all the Israelites were afraid of Goliath. David said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill this guy. This, this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the Lord, 
the same way that the Lord rescued me from, from bears and from lions, then he'll gonna get me, he's going to rescue me from Goliath. And when I thought about that, it's like, man, it's like the, David was a shepherd walk, watching over his father's flock, and there would be a bear or a lion that would come and take his sheep. And David, a little boy, would go after and, 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 and attack a lion if necessary, attack a bear if necessary. Like, like who does that? You know, if that were me, it'd be like, well... <laughs> That one's lost, you know, let's keep the flock over here and just, you know, sorry. But, but David wasn't like that. It's like he went out there, and, he, and the Bible says that he actually, like, you know, would fight the lions and fight the bears. So he learned, even in those early days, who his shield was, who his protector was, who, who his, the lifter of his head was. David had that intimate relationship with the Lord, and he learned that not because somebody had told him about it, but because that's what he had pursued. He was a man after God's own heart. The Lord was his shepherd. He didn't turn to other things when he was in trouble, when he was <clears throat> at his depth, when he was at his, his lowest point in life. He turned to his Lord because he knew who God was. <clears throat> in verse 4, he says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from my holy hill. And that's what I love about David, and I think when I first became a Christian, we can be honest before God. Amen? Because so many times, we just like, um, well, I don't really have any prayer requests, you know, I'm, I'm okay, you know, but, but like David was like, you know, I'm crying before the Lord here. He was just honest with the Lord about his sin, about his life, and that was reflected in his prayers and the things that he said. You know, sometimes we just need to cry aloud to the Lord. Sometimes just being in silence and just kind of bearing through <clears throat> difficulties in life and, and trying to hope that there's a better day or hope that there's a better solution or a better resolution. Sometimes we just need to cry out to God. And as David knew, he will answer us from his holy hill. The Lord hears the prayers of all of his saints, of all of his children. He's not deaf. In verse 5, he says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. And this to me was, Luke had mentioned this on Wednesday night, and it is pretty amazing. David slept. Here, his son is pursuing him, killing, trying to kill him, sleeping in down by the River Jordan, not in his comfy palace with, with all of his amenities and stuff that he was used to. But David slept. <clears throat> I don't know if I would have slept in that situation. His sons are murderers and rapists. And it's like you, you would sit there and you would think you would be pondering what's going on in your past and where did I go wrong and, and what did I do and, and how did this happen? Why did this happen? But, but David rested in the Lord and he knew that, God, that he was in God's hands. He trusted the Lord's sovereignty. In another part of, I think it was in Psalm, uh, 2 Samuel 15, it says that as they were fleeing the city, the Levites, the priests, they ended up taking the Ark of, of the Covenant with them as they were fleeing the city. And David said, no, 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 take that back. He's like, I'm going to go, I'm not going to petition the Lord right now. And hopefully, I'll be back to see that, that, that Ark and that Covenant again. But if not, then God's going to deal with me. 
So David was, was willing to just lay his life in the Lord's hand. You know, if the Lord was going to get me through this, then great. Then he was going to get me through it. That's his will. But if, if it's God's will that, that I die, then I, I'm going to die. David was completely surrendered to, to what the Lord willed him, to what the Lord wanted. And I believe because of that, that he was able to lie down and he was able to get rest and sleep in the most unimaginable circumstance that he was in. He says again in verse 5, he says, I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves all around me and all against me. <clears throat> if God is for us, who can be against us, right? And that's what David was saying here. There could be thousands of people against me, and there were. But if the Lord is for me, then, then what are these thousands of people going to be able to do to me? Sometimes it's not the circumstances that we're in or, or what we're up against. It's, it's the hand of the Lord that we need to understand that, that if God is in favor for us, then who's going to be against us? And what's amazing is that David was saying this in consequences. David was in the middle of consequences for his sin. And he's saying, if the Lord is for me, then you know, who can be against me? It's like, even in our consequences, even because the Lord says that he does chastise those that he loves. But even in the middle of that, God is still sustaining us. You know, how faithful and how good is our God that even in the midst of his hand being heavy upon us in punishment or in correction for whatever we may have done or not done, he's still sustaining us. He's still holding us. He's still keeping us. He doesn't forsake us because we sin. David made his, his heart right with the Lord. He sinned, he made a mistake, he really screwed up, and he acknowledged that, and the Lord forgave him. And David wasn't sitting there in self-condemnation, feeling sorry for himself. <clears throat> he knew where his help came from. And so the gates of hell could be against us. Thousands of people could be against us, but if the Lord has called us, the Lord will sustain us through trial, through tribulation. It just requires that faith. David knew that because if God could rescue me from the Philistines, from Saul, from this, from that, then he can surely rescue me out of this situation. He goes on in verse 7. He says, Arise, O Lord, save me. Save me, my God. That statement, Arise, O Lord, I think it was from, um, Moses said that in uh, <clears throat> Numbers 10.35, where the Israelites were camped out near Mount Sinai, <clears throat> and now they were going to start heading off towards the Promised Land. Moses said, Arise, O Lord. You know, go before us, scatter our enemies, make them flee before us. It's a battle cry is literally what it is. When you're saying, Arise, O Lord, it's like, you know, fight on my behalf. And he said, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. You strike them on the cheek and you break their teeth. You take the, you take the power out of their bite. And I like how 
he says you break the teeth of the wicked, David obviously referring to the people that were, that were pursuing him and trying to kill him. But he didn't include himself in the wicked. You know, here's a man who, who's done horrible things and sinned greatly, but yet he doesn't include himself in the wicked. Because the Lord forgave him, and he knew that the Lord forgave him, and so he stood righteous before the Lord. He goes on in verse 8, he says, Salvation belongs to the Lord, and blessing to your people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It doesn't come from his own hand, it comes from the Lord. Again, David showing just how much he trusted in the Lord and how much he relied on him for everything. So where does this leave us in, in conclusion? Where are we when, when the trials and the things in, in life get really tough? Because if they haven't gotten tough yet, they're going to get tough. You know, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, as I was saying earlier, Gethsemane means, uh, means oil press. Oil press. In those days, when they wanted to make olive oil, they took all of the olives and they put them into uh, almost like a basin kind of a thing. And then they put a rock on it and they, they rolled the rock around. And that's how they extracted the oil from the olives. And so Gethsemane where Jesus was, you know, that it's, it reveals what's coming out of us when there's pressure. When there's no pressure, we don't really know what's going on in here. We don't really know, like, where we stand. We don't know where our faith is. You know, we, we grow and we understand where we're at because of resistance. You know, if, if Abraham goes to bench press 100 pounds and he can't lift it, he, he knows where he, well, he's looking at me weird. He can bench. What do you bench now? Okay. But anyway, it's like you, you know where you're at. Well, this is too heavy. That's too heavy. You, you kind of know and you have a, a self-realization. Here's where my level is. Here's where my skill is. Here, here's where I'm at. And the Lord does the same thing to us. He allows us that pressure to take, take part in our life. He allows things to take place in our family. He allows things to take place at work at church, different circumstances to test us and to try us to see what's actually going on inside of here and what is our reaction when those things come along. So I always know for me that my reactions aren't always what they should be, but that's revealing my heart. You know, if somebody's persecuting me or, or righteously or unrighteously, you know, I shouldn't react in anger. But when I react in anger, I realize, God, I got anger issues. There's unforgiveness in my heart towards that person. There's bitterness in my heart. It reveals who we are. And so we need to be able to take those moments and instead of letting them just pass by, take them and use them for, for God's purpose and what He intended them. I think sometimes we go through so much in life and we're not getting out of it what we should be getting out of it. Those little lessons that God wants to teach us, they're just kind of passing us by and we're not realizing what it is that the Lord is trying to do in our hearts.
Because if we think that we're on hard times, we think, well, that's not from God. <clears throat> and that's, that's not true at all. It's not true at all. Whether it's suffering for righteousness or for sin, we're going to have, we're going we're gonna to suffer in this life. It, it's unavoidable. And so, you know, we really need to kind of examine our hearts and, and you know, see where we're at in, in the place that, that God has called us to. Amen. Okay, um, do you want to pull up the, Josue was going to be here today, but he's home sick, so, who is that, because we, we were,